Uh, Welcome into another episode of the Mile High Bourbon and Rye podcast, a Colorado craft podcast. This is whisk or this is episode number eight, and I am extremely happy to be joined today by the Whiskey Gingers. We've got, if you guys want to introduce yourselves here, we got Brandon, we got Chris. Chris. Happy to be back with you, Zach. It was uh, it was a great time the first time, and um, even more excited for the second one. Yeah, very excited to be talking to you guys as well. Um, so for this episode, we're doing a little bit different than the last one. Last time we each had a whiskey from our own state. This time we are featuring a whiskey from each other's states. So I went ahead, went out and found Stoll and Wolf Pennsylvania Rye Whiskey, which I am actually extremely excited to try. Uh, I looked up basically no information on it. I found no tasting notes. I found no <laughs> mash bill. I, I wanted to go into this as blank as I possibly could because I'm definitely excited to try it. So. Sounds awesome. It looks like a good bottle. I haven't personally had it myself, but uh seems like it's going to be a good one. That, that yeah. was kind of the crazy part when you told me what you were sampling is that, you know, we're a whiskey podcast from Pennsylvania and you picked the whiskey. Neither one of us have ever tried. So we're <laughs> we're just as excited to hear how it goes. Um, I'm, I'm pretty good on, at that. I, like end, I don't know how you found getting PA whiskey. It was really difficult to find Colorado whiskey um, that we didn't have to have shipped in necessarily. Uh, but we were able to find, uh, we have a nice bottle of Breckenridge bourbon whiskey. Um, I had to go to Delaware to find it. Um, all in all, not terrible. It's only about an hour and 15 each way. Um, ah. But super excited to try it. We, You know, the people at the liquor store couldn't have been more complimentary. And I, are you familiar with it yourself? Uh, actually, Breckenridge bourbon is the, well, this side shirt that I've yeah. got on. Ah, it's beautiful. Small world. Connoisseur. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Are we yeah, in for a pretty good uh, whiskey then? Yeah, I definitely enjoy their bourbon. They've got a lot of expressions, uh, some of which I think are probably going to be a little more difficult to find than even that one out in your neck of the woods, but it is a fantastic bottle. I think you guys are definitely going to enjoy it. I'm I'm excited. I mean, if it's if it's half as good as you're saying it is, and then all the people at the liquor store were saying it is, at the price point, it's it's a really nice bottle of whiskey to get for the price. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it was only it was only $43 um, for what sounds like a pretty high class bottle. Yeah, they do a great job. They're uh and that is actually one of the best parts about Breckenridge in my opinion is their very approachable price point particularly for their entry stuff. Some of their older stuff, some of their uh, special finishes get up a little bit more, but their their base level bourbon like you're saying, very approachable price. That's, that's amazing. We're looking forward to it. That's what we're looking for. Um so you're, you're steering this shit, my man. What's uh sweet. We- uh, so today's episode, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the whiskey rebellion since it is a event that took place in Pennsylvania, but was a relatively key uh, aspect in shaping whiskey history in the United States. I uh, kind of figuring we'll crack open the bottles for a little bit and start talking uh, taxes and whiskey. Start talking whiskey while we drink whiskey. That I couldn't agree more with that statement. <laughs> That's the way I like to do it. Yeah. And our official a, bottle opener here, Mr. Chris. It's a beautiful packaging on this whiskey, I have to say. Really classy cap to the yeah. hardwood stained cap. Uh, okay. Yeah, they, Solid pop. they nothing, definitely take the right It actually just has a very firm cork, which I think is good. It smells good. That means the bottle hasn't been used too often if the cork's still firm. And I'm going to need the uh, 
I'm going to need the official bottle opener to make his way out here. I can't get the wrapping off at this point. <laughs> That's why I keep Chris around. I can be bribed to make <laughs> guest appearances with more whiskey. <laughs> we'll work for whiskey. We'll work for whiskey, exactly. Perfect. Yeah, there is no perforation on the plastic on this, so it is. I am at the mercy of my lack of. Oh yikes! We've had a few of those. Yeah, you got to break out the knife or the, a key or whatever you can get your hands on. Making a slight a zoom in. Closer. It looks like we're out in left field. Yeah, we have a wide-angle lens, which is really nice for like when we switch between studios. But at this one, it could probably almost do without a wide-angle lens. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a little bit better. So we got facial features now, at least. Yeah, we, uh, we're we a jack of many trades, but apparently studio builders isn't quite one of them because it functions <laughs> great as a bar, but as a studio, it is a little difficult. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I'm still just recording out of kind of the out of the basement at the moment. It's slowly being built into a bar, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in my back porch, so it's not like we got to, like, a, a you know, <laughs> we're not in a building somewhere. We just, we had a little extra space, and we were like, ah, you know, we're going to keep the podcast going for a while. Well, if we are, let's just, let's do this thing the right way and, you know, build it out. So that's what we ended up doing. Perfect. Yeah, not quite the pop out of this one. Bottle is open. There we go. But we Good things come to those who wait. Officially in business now. So let's, uh, well... Cheers, gentlemen. Here's to you. Whoa. All right. I really like that. That is really good, actually. That, yeah. I'm trying to put it in the work. It's still happening at the moment. <laughs> like, I think we, we, we just recently had uh, Basil Hayden. And okay. uh, Basil Hayden was a delicious bourbon. And I actually, I have a lot of similarities flavor-wise with this and Basil Hayden. I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult or whatever, but I just think that to me... They taste very similar in their smoothness, but also they have a lot of bold flavor without it being overpowering any bad flavor notes. I think all the all the notes in here are very tasty. Yeah, this is definitely for me. I love this and Basil Hayden for different reasons. This feels it's a lot thicker. It's a lot more bold than Basil Hayden was. Um, this is great if I'm craving um, like a smoky bourbon full bodied whiskey flavor. The thing I loved most about Basil Hayden for me was that it was an almost refreshing whiskey. Yeah. It was very light. It was very easy to get down. And it just kind of like, it almost kind of cooled you off. So I love them for very different reasons, but <laughs> I like them both a lot. Yeah, this was good. Awesome. Yeah, Breckenridge has been one of my standbys for sure. The Stolen Wolf, I got to say, is doing a really good job as well. I almost wish that I could have gotten it at a little bit higher proof. Yeah. It's got a good amount of spice, but I think it's toned down a little past where I like to see the rise because on the one hand that makes it extremely approachable. And I think a lot of people would enjoy this bottle. On the other hand, that, that does kind of take away a little bit of that spiciness that the rye grain otherwise would give it. So um, I say we'll revisit some notes as we work through this episode and kind of consider what we're thinking, but uh, started off. How much do you guys know about the whiskey rebellion? Uh, so a lot more than we did two hours ago. <laughs> uh, we, did, we did a very le very late deep dive. It turns out it's something that I definitely had heard about before in like a like a high school history class that I just it didn't attach back to it. Um, yeah. But the broad strokes we were able to get, and we'll get into more detail. But 
um, you know, that it was a really key rebellion in the you know, U.S. tax history um, and U.S. liquor cons- um, distribution history. And from, you know, the I guess I would say like the whiskey rebellion for dummies version feels like, you know, Pennsylvania Hicks were being taxed for their whiskey and they weren't about to stand for that. So they didn't. I think boiled down to the simplest terms, that's a pretty good uh, summation of the whiskey rebellion. Um, I actually, so it's one of my, I, I know history's not been always my strongest subject, but as I've gotten older, I found myself a lot more interested in it. So I've dug in a lot and I really like that America has a tax and whiskey related event because that's actually the birth of Irish whiskey in the style that it is now is because of taxation in Ireland. Um, the reason that they use the half malted, half unmalted barley is because when they made it out of 100% malted barley, the British crown was taxing them at a high rate. They cut that yeah. in half, they got out of taxes, they made their whiskey, and thus was born the style that there is. And so this kind of seemed like a good fit because that's been an interest to me, and the taxation, again, is kind of a big deal. Obviously, the entire revolution was based around taxation without representation was the whole idea. I mean, that was the, that was the rallying cry and that was kind of the rallying cry for the whiskey rebellion in the U S as well. From my understanding is a lot of the people that were kind of far out from the central where the cities were located, where the government was at, they're being told they got to come in and pay these taxes. And they're saying, we're, we're not even there to vote on if we need to pay these taxes. What is this supposed to be? It's, directly against what we just finished fighting that's independence what I found for. very interesting about the whole thing is that you know this happened just after a time where taxation was such a hot topic and then all of a sudden you have this and what i also found interesting while reading into it was the fact that this was the first time that it was kind of a proof of concept that the united states as a governmenting body could actually enforce the laws that they were putting in on taxation or any law for that matter because when we were reading about it there was actually a militia that was put together of, I think it was 13,000 men, even led by George Washington to go figure out why um, they can't enforce this tax law on the Pennsylvanians. That that was on the Spark Notes version of what I was reading, which I thought was incredible because it was a time when people were very afraid of taxes and they didn't want things to go back to the way they were. So very interesting that, you know, yeah. that even happened in the first place. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we look back at it now, especially being, you know, fans of whiskey that we are as like a great triumph of like, you know, liquor drinkers, whiskey drinkers, the common man. Um, But really at the time it was a colossal failure because not the rebellion itself, but when you look at it from like an American point of view, it was this fledgling new country struggling to uphold its own laws. So you know, as great as it worked out for us and it worked out, like I said, the common man to be able to stand up to the government. When you're talking about a brand new government and a brand new leadership who's trying to establish a nation, the fact they couldn't suppress, you know, these whiskey loving hicks in Pennsylvania was actually kind of an indictment on are we going to make it or not? Yeah, absolutely. And it's I mean, it's definitely an interesting thing because I can't imagine being sort of in that position, right, as you're you're trying to do exactly that. You're trying to enforce these new laws. You have to pay back the debts that you've incurred because I mean, you just went through a war and as a brand new nation with no anything, you're obviously going to be indebted to some people to kind of get that corrected. And so tax was the only way that they could necessarily do that and being able to kind of come in and enforce it. One of the 
more interesting pieces I read was that it was a a very key part in nationalism being as like people being as proud in the nation in the future as they were was due to Washington's handling of that event because it didn't resort to a ton of blood. I mean, it was called a rebellion. It's been called the uh, whiskey insurrection, but there wasn't a lot of bloodshed. There wasn't a lot of actual people dying. I mean, there's a few, but they did it very nicely. They did it very neatly and they didn't resort to having to really stomp down. He came in and negotiated it out after, you know, things got a little bit more out of hand than they probably needed to. From what I gather, it seemed as though it was a it was a strong showing of force, but it didn't have to necessarily be a physical one. Because what I had read was that most of the insurrectionists, if you will, yeah. actually didn't even show up to the final position where like the militia was coming in and everything. There was only 20 people or so that wound up getting arrested at the end of the day out of all of these people that were against this in the rebellion. So clearly, to your point, they did handle it in a very calm way of which it, it produced the least amount of backlash, which was nice. Yeah, it's um God, I'm I'm gonna blank on who said it. I wanna say it was it was either Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson. It was one of the two. Um no, it's uh, Teddy Roosevelt, sorry, but it was the which would come <laughs> around it would come around much later, don't get me wrong, but it was the concept of, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick. It was, you know, before he coined that term, that's kind of the approach that was used to quell the risky the whiskey rebellion. It wasn't necessarily, you know, mowing down groups of people who are standing your way, but it was the first time the government was able to kind of flex its strength a little bit and put something down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they actually handled it in a way that was a heck of a lot better than easily could have been done. Cause that could have been a, a show of force that probably would have doomed the nation from the start. And instead they did it in a, a very proper way. And the great news is, is that all of those distillers went back to distilling and continued to produce the product that we're sitting here and enjoying at the moment. Yeah, there's, Whiskey history is actually, I mean, I'm not a big history guy either. Believe it. I mean, I'm just, just was never my thing, but whiskey history is actually really fascinating. Um, and I'm sure you know, our listeners on our side have heard me tell the story probably four times at this point, but like my favorite one by far, and it's in this, it's similar in that, you know, it illustrates what people were willing to do to protect their whiskey and how much they loved, um, you know, their favorite whiskey brands was during the, you know, the famines over in Ireland, there was actually somebody positioned on a, a civilian on his, on his own accord, positioned himself on top of the Jameson distillery with a rifle and took it upon himself to pick off looters trying to ruin the distillery or burn the distillery down. Um, so it, just, it always amazes me, like, you know, that the amount of people that draw their line in the sand at whiskey, where as much as we all love this, I don't think either, any of us can say, honestly, we would die for our favorite whiskey brand. <laughs> But there are people through history who said, absolutely, I'm in. I will die for this. Yeah. It comes well, underlying tones as well. You know, like it gives people something to believe in. And maybe it's it's a it's a small note in a bigger picture that people are willing to. You're right. It's the last their, straw for some Yeah. People. They'll put their life on the line for something they believe in. And whiskey may be like a catalyst for something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the, the final thing. This is the perfect example. You know, it, it's a tax on whiskey. People are you know, mad at, at this point, they just got rid of 
a government that was putting excessive taxation without representation on them. And now all of a sudden something that they hold dear and near is getting taxed by a brand new government that said, we're not like the other guy, but it's funny it, you, we kind of are in a weird way. When you put it like that, like whiskey as a catalyst, whiskey had whiskey in its past was so much more important than whiskey is now like historically, because now whiskey is a catalyst for bar fights. <laughs> but back in the founding of our country, whiskey was the catalyst for taxation law. Like it, it really has changed a lot in seriousness. It has, but to, to kind of piggyback off of that point too, where you're saying, you know, that one might be the catalyst and kind of my research and what I've seen from the whiskey rebellion as well, is that a lot of people who weren't actually the distillers and weren't being taxed for distillation, but were seeing other taxes or seeing other economic problems joined in on this, this rebellion, this insurrection, they had nothing to do with the distillation at first, but they, they joined in because they saw the same thing. It's that, like you were saying, it's that final straw, that last kind of, okay, we need to stand here because if we lose any more ground, we're never getting anything back. Yeah. They start looking at it as this, it might not be me now. Like this isn't my hill to die on, but my hill could very well be the next one to go. If we don't stop it here. It's, it's a classic give an inch, take a mile kind of situation that I think a lot of people believe in you know that that's really where i i believe those kind of these kind of situations formulated that kind of thinking yeah it's well if we let this pass what you know what goes next is it i mean god if they could see us now with the amount of things we're taxed on i mean i I don't know how colorado (laughs) handles it but in philadelphia there's a liquor tax there's a soda tax yeah, but if you live in Philadelphia County, you also get a Philly tax too. Yeah, just for being near the damn. You get a thing. Pennsylvania tax, your regular taxes, and, and a Philadelphia tax. tax. God, if our founding fathers could see us now, <laughs> especially in Philadelphia, that's where like all of this started. Thank you. There should be less taxes in Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm I'm going to the place. I'm going to the Liberty Bell. I'm going to the place they signed the Constitution. And if I look on my ticket, it says sales tax. <laughs> I mean, come on now. You're walking into it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, that's... An interesting, uh, it's an interesting topic of conversation. But I enjoy the whiskey side a bit more than the taxation side. I think that ship long sailed. Yeah, I'm not a big taxes yeah. guy. Actually, this this whiskey was bought in Delaware, and I didn't pay tax on it. So take that, your Redcoats. Oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sticking it to the British with Breckenridge whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> I have to say, the more I drink it, I think it's a great whiskey. And I think that this is going to be one of the perfect ones. It's not quite too hot out today, but I think in general, like I would really enjoy this by like a campfire. Oh God. Yeah. This is, this is camping whiskey. This is, if I was cold, I guess that's the best way to put it for me. Basil Hayden is a, is a warm summer whiskey, but if I'm chilly and I'm out, you know, sipping on a glass that the thickness, the boldness, that that would warm me up more than I think. Definitely, yeah. No, I think it'd be very good for that. It is. It is really delicious, though. I mean, and it's nice to know we can get it in the area. We can't get it in PA, but I would drive to Delaware for that. <laughs> you picking up any uh, new tones while you're drinking that one over there, Zach? Yeah. So the Stolen Wolf I, again. I'm. I really want to see what that rye could do before it was cut down. I'm just. It's there and it wants to jump out more, but it's kind of toned a bit. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of pepper on the mid palate, which I absolutely love, and a good amount of kind of uh, baking spices, kind of almost holiday spices on the finish as well. Uh, you cool. get kind of that cinnamon nutmeg. Um, yeah. I was actually thinking the same thing: cold weather whiskey at a mm-hmm. a little bit higher proof to give you that you know that nice warm rush yeah. through. 
I think this would be excellent right there, but it's, it's a great kind of cooler fall whiskey is kind of what I'm getting with this one. I think whiskey in general is such a great thing in the fall and in the cold weather. There's certainly whiskeys out there that I'll drink year round anyway. And we've had this conversation many times, but we have, but not with Zach, not with Zach. (laughs) I I love whiskey in the fall. It's definitely the best time of year for me to have whiskey. So um, one of the things we had, we put out to our listeners and they, it was pretty split more than we thought. Um, But Chris and I are both fall winter whiskey guys. I mean, we'll drink it all year round. It's August. We're shooting this podcast. Um, yeah. But I think it really comes alive in the cold months. Um, mm-hmm. But we ask people, what is your, if it's July and you're drinking whiskey, what is the perfect setting to have that whiskey in? Okay. That's a, that's a tough question actually to answer. Cause there's a couple of different spots that I can think of, but I'm going to have to go with the number one for me would be up in the mountains, high elevation on a lake at sunset. Mm. I like that. That would be a pretty good situation, honestly. I, I could go for that, too, myself in the summertime. Yeah, I could go for one of those right now. The problem is it's just hot and muggy on the water here in the summertime. So yeah. it's, uh, it's difficult to want to brave that, but we certainly can. That is true. That's that, that's probably, I would say that might be an all-time, an all-time whiskey setup. Um, I think for me personally, like my perfect glass of whiskey, I think, would be and I'm going to take it out your way. Maybe I'm out in Colorado or I'm out in Wyoming visiting my brother or something. And it's fresh snowfall back patio with a bonfire, like six, you know, six inches to a foot on the ground fire going, we're bundled up and we both have a glass of whiskey keeping us warm. I, I think for me, that's, that's how I picture my perfect glass. And that's a pretty good glass with a cigar as well. And you got me in the mix. Stogie would be a nice (laughs) touch. Yeah, that's a pretty great scenario right there. I got to agree. There's there's not a lot that beats kind of that either the snow is falling or the recently fallen Ooh, that's snow. That's too. Because well, you get a lot just, more of that out there. <laughs> we get a decent amount. This last year we got a pretty good chunk of it, but uh, it was. I mean, that's definitely it. Adds that almost quietness to the world once you got that nice level down. Everything's just sort of calm, and that is. That's a tough one to beat for sure. It is an interesting time of the year when it's winter and you get the snowfall. And, you know, in the summertime and many other months of the year, many other seasons of the year, you actually get a lot of background noise. You get, you know, crickets chirping. Like, literally, there's crickets chirping in the background right now. And you hear, you know, bugs and everything else. When it's winter and there's a fresh snowfall on the ground, you don't hear anything. It's It's just real quiet. And it's so peaceful. To hear, like, to be in that situation and to your point, having a bonfire going and it's so dead quiet except for the crackling of the wood going in a bonfire with a nice glass of whiskey, that is like an ideal situation. It, yeah, absolutely. And when I, and I mean, Zach, you can refute me on this one, but like when you think about the other whiskeys and their ideal, not the other whiskey, sorry, the other like core liquors and their ideal drinking situation, I don't think any of them stand up to like the, I don't know, like the class, the tranquility or whatever that like whiskey is ideally drank in. Like, you know, I I can't think of a more serene or more like enjoyable environment to do like, you know, tequila, whiskey, tequila, vodka, maybe gin you could throw in there. But a lot of the other liquors feel like, you know, party drinks like they're they're mixed. You're in a, you know, in a crowded area. Whiskey is just tranquil, I feel like. 
So I would, if you would have told me that, let's say four or five years ago, I'd have been 100% absolutely there. I actually may have to refute you a bit on the tequila spot because when you get a really solid Añejo tequila that sat for a while in that barrel, you get those super vanilla notes. You get that little bit of the uh, agave that still comes through from the spirit itself. There's something that's that's definitely very special about that one just kind of sitting quietly there. Those ones, I would say. And then I would also throw an Armagnac in there. If you haven't had an Armagnac, I would give that one a shot because that meets a kind of a uh, brandy style, so distillate of grape, but also aged in the barrels. I would I would throw that one up there too. There's a couple of them that I think can match that as I've you know kind of explored out a little bit more. Whiskey's still the my, top, but I like that. I think my favorite part about these kind of conversations in general and just talking with other people that appreciate spirits is you learn so much about different things. I wasn't really into tequila for a long time ever. And then I met a couple people that really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I said, oh, that's a party drink. And to your point, I actually do think that there are tequilas out there that I'll certainly sip on if they're out and about. And uh, yeah. there may be even some that I, I feel just as tranquil drinking as I do with a whiskey. But if you had told me when I was younger that I was going to be enjoying sipping whiskey and like that was a tranquil experience for me, <laughs> I would have said, you're out of your mind. You know, like oh, this yeah. is something that is an appreciated taste. So I feel like the more you drink any spirit and you get familiar with like getting really deep down that rabbit hole of what they have to offer, you might find something that makes you feel the same way. I know a few people that to them, vodka is like the drink. They enjoy having vodka, even if it's I just straight or on the rocks. It. I do not. And get it. some of the ones that they've had me try, yes, they're really good. I don't personally feel like I would want to have them as that relaxing, tranquil experience. But maybe if I got really deep down that rabbit hole, I would. I would vodka. I mean, and I think you're you're right, Zach. And, you know, in thinking back on it, there was one tequila that I had from a very well-to-do friend of mine who got it um, from, you know, local distillery. I believe it was Tijuana. And it was like that. It was the tequila where it almost looks like a whiskey. It's got that brownish tinge to it where you know it's the real deal. And that yeah. I sipped on and I loved it. Um, but to Chris's point, I can't say I've ever had a, a vodka straight, um, you know, neat on the rocks, whatever, without a mixer where I went, oh, I can taste X, Y, and Z. Or, wow, you can really tell that this was aged however long. <laughs> you, it, it, yeah. you don't. You just taste the burn. Maybe it's just me. It depends no, on the vodka. There's a lot of metal there. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm in agreement on the vodkas. I, I really do enjoy, and there's a number of them that I've had from distilleries around here, too, that I produce an excellent vodka, and I wouldn't say there's anything. But I agree. It's not one that I'm like, oh, I'm going to put this vodka in a rocks glass and just sip on it for the evening. It's usually, you know, those really nice ones, that's a great cocktail base. And that's where that's where I think the vodkas kind of go for me. And when you find the ones that are great cocktail bases, you got to hold on to those ones because they're, it, I mean, exactly that. They're perfect for mixing into whatever it is that you're trying to concoct that day. But it, I got to agree. I can't. I can't see myself being. You know. Oh, here's a here's a nice sipping vodka. Yeah, that's that's not me either. <laughs> yeah. It's and a tough pill to swallow, that one. It is, for sure. And, I mean, we talk about it on our podcast all the time, where if we have a whiskey that's, you know, say, fine, not great, or it doesn't really blow us away, we say, you know, that's a really good mixing whiskey. That's a really good whiskey ginger whiskey, whiskey tea, what have you. 
Um, but we kind of treat that as an indictment of the whiskey itself a little bit. Like if, if it's a great mixer, it has its place, but as a whiskey, it doesn't stand up on its own. So to say that vodka is as a category is a mixer kind of says all it needs to be said about vodka. <laughs> it does a little bit. And like I said, it's not, I'm not trying to be here and, and, you know, shame and vodka at all, but it's, it's definitely not my flavor profile. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need I don't need Putin showing up my doorstep. So I mean, we're not we're not hating on vodka. It's not our favorite, but I gotta tell you, I don't even really do many mixers anymore. I mean, for me, an ideal situation if I'm just like casually hanging out with some friends or something, I'm beer good with whiskey. like a beer and a glass of whiskey, and you know, like that's that's a good combo yeah. for me. If I'm mixing something, I just tend to get like a headache from the sugar the next day. I'm getting older now, so like. The sugar's not sitting very well. So for me, yeah. having some whiskey straight or like even maybe like a beer or two with some whis whis uh, whiskey like glasses mixed in, mm -hmm. that's usually an ideal combo for me. Otherwise, I'm going to wake up with a splitting hangover the next day. Yeah, I'm not uh, 21 anymore, so that doesn't <laughs> really work. <laughs> I was going to say, and that, that kind of snuck up on me out of nowhere. I feel like I had no problems ever. It'd be, you know, mixers, people are, oh, you're going to get hung over from that. Eh, no, I'm not. And then one day you just kind of wake up and go, Oh, that's what they mean. Yep. It's over. <laughs> I totally agree. Yep. So it might not be Brandon's right behind us on the curve, I'm sure. No, I'm I'm the same way. I'm I can do whiskey all night long and wake up fine. I can do beer all night long and wake up fine. If I deviate from that path, I gotta I gotta block my calendar out until two the next day, probably. Uh, even even only yeah. beer for me nowadays is probably a recipe for disaster. Like if I pound back oh. like twelve beers, I'm gonna be hurt in the next day. Only beer my body can tolerate, no problem. Same with, I mean, three or four glasses of whiskey will be fine. Like I said, when you get off that path. But while we're talking about kind of hurting, um, I had a question I meant to ask you, Zach, last time you were on ours and we never got to it. Um, yeah. What is the liquor or the mixed drink or um, like, what is the, what is the drink that you look at and go, nope, no way, never again? <laughs> Everybody's got one. Oh, it's anything to do with Jägermeister. Oh, that's yeah, a good one. That's a good one. That's, yeah. Yep, there's one night with Jaeger that just ruined me for it forever. So, uh, right. uh, I guess we'll kind of wrap up with, uh, thank you guys very much for joining me. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the Breckenridge for real, and you're not just being polite since I'm wearing their shirt. <laughs> We're not that polite, Zach, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But, uh, yeah, like I said, thank you guys very much. Um, I do have for anybody who might be watching, because I'm going to try to put this on mine. We've got follow Whiskey Gingers on Twitter at Whiskey Gingers One. Uh, you guys have anything else that you would like to plug? Tell people where to find you. Yeah, so um, whisk at a uh, you know Whiskeyed Gingers on Twitter because Andrew Santino already claimed Whiskey Gingers. Uh, sorry about that, buddy. My bad. <laughs> um, and you can catch us every other Tuesday, typically around seven thirty. Uh, we go live and try different whiskeys. And coming soon is the Best of series. Um, we'll be trying our favorite five whiskeys from the last six months of the podcast. Otherwise, Zach, thank you so much for having us. You're one of our favorite accounts on there, and we uh, we always enjoy spending the time and uh, getting a little buzz going with you. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll definitely uh, record another episode sometime in the future for sure. We'll find – I'll go digging for another obscure Pennsylvania We'd whiskey to. to bring in. <laughs> Sounds great, <laughs> guys. So We'll find more in the mountains. Yep, perfect. 
Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us again, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, Eric. Here's to you. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast. Thank you so much to Brandon and Chris of Whiskeyed Gingers for joining us. Once again, you can check them out at WhiskeyGingers1 on Twitter. They do go live every week with a new episode talking about different things about whiskey and sampling some new ones from all over. Give them a follow, check them out, and enjoy the content that they're putting out. Big thank you one more time to you guys for joining us. If you're enjoying this show overall, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also share this with any whiskey lovers in your life. Another way you can support the show is by shopping our merchandise on milehighbourbon.com shop or by donating directly to the site through the PayPal link in the show notes. If you are interested in trying this Stoll and Wolf Rye for yourself, I am also including a link to that in the show notes so you can check out this bottle for yourself or one of the other ones that they have. Please also follow us on social media. Just search Mile High Bourbon and Rye on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads, and check out our site at milehighbourbon.com. As you know, I always finish each episode with a dad joke, and unfortunately I was unable to read this one to Brandon and Chris as we had some network connection problems. You will all get to hear this anyway. What do you call a row of rabbits that is hopping away? A receding hairline. As always, thank you so much to Roma Ransom for providing the intro and outro music, and I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Cheers! (laughs) 